look, I love lifting with kettlebells and maces and body weight and steel clubs and all of that. But sometimes you just want to use a barbell. But there's so many ways that you can use a barbell to make it unconventional, to make it something that's healthy for your body, to build muscles in really functional ways rather than the traditional ways that we've seen on the Olympics or seen at your local CrossFit box. There's so many other ways to use a barbell effectively, efficiently to build real strength. And that's what the On It 6 barbell program is all about. If you follow my boy Juan on Instagram, you'll see the effects of the barbell program. And everybody who goes through the barbell program, it's one of the most popular classes we have it on it. And John Wolf is incredible. Everybody in this entire program just crushes it. So if you're interested in a barbell-based program, there is absolutely nothing better that I've ever seen out there on the market than the On It 6 barbell program. So check it out. It's just recently launched. Go to onit.com slash Aubrey. Save yourself some money on the Onit 6 barbell program. And I know you're going to love it. And you can like post pictures of yourself being all jacked and functionally fit and stuff. It'll be dope. Go to onit.com slash Aubrey. I just got back from spending a week in the darkness, and it was absolutely the most powerful medicine journey I've ever been on. So I invited Eric Godsey to help wade through this incredible journey and challenging journey, I must say that as well. And so I know a lot of you have been waiting for it, and here it is. What's up, Eric? What's up, Aubrey? Welcome for coming. Thank you for coming on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. So it's a little over a week since I got out of the darkness, and uh, it's about time to talk about it. Yeah. It was, um, I think, by far the most powerful medicine journey I've ever been on. There's been nothing that's even come close to really reaching the depth that this journey has reached and from the level of challenge of integration to the level of depth of uncovering you know aspects of my psyche um and even to the vision state itself which i'd heard about but i kind of discredited i was like y'all don't know visions i've done dmt i've done dmt a lot like i know (laughs) i know what visions are i'm sure your visions are cute but fuck, man, this was like, this went as, as deep as I could have possibly imagined, way deeper than I possibly could have imagined. And anybody who's saying that, you know, DMT isn't produced in the brain, I recognize that it's virtually impossible to create the vivisection at the point of a visionary state. Like, who's right. going to volunteer to let their brain be opened or, like, you know, stabbed at the point that they're having a DMT rush? But um, I'm Go quite run the experiment. Yeah, I'm quite confident in uh, in the endogenous production of DMT. Obviously, this could be a function of some kind of imagination, but we'll get into all the visions. But that wasn't really why I was called for it because I got a lot of ways that I can see things in in the yeah in my. What third was eye. it about the darkness? Because I remember when you first heard about it, it was all that you were talking about for a while. What about it called you? You know, I I think um, <clears throat> it's a very difficult thing to answer when something calls to you mm-hmm. because it doesn't call with reasons, right? Particularly, it's like you hear the calling and then you apply the reasons to justify and make sense of the calling. Yeah, but really, I was sick and I needed mm. to heal, and this was something that whatever that higher intelligence inside of me, call it the soul if you want, if you're comfortable with that vocabulary. I do want. <laughs> whatever that thing is was saying, 
you need medicine and the medicine is the darkness and it was just so it was so clear it was just so clear and irrefutable when you know when i had heard about it from akshay on the podcast and that was the second time i heard about it because aaron alexander mentioned it i was and i heard him describe it i was like oh i have to do this yeah and we're going to use the structure of the hero's journey to kind of weave the thread of everything that happened and so stage one is the ordinary world and so what was the life that you were in before you heard this call like what was the sickness like how are you sick what was going on the thing about being sick when you're in the ordinary world is you don't know how sick you are right you know you're blaming it on little things that oh well this thing is bothering me you externalize your internal sickness right mm. well if i could just fix this thing if i could fix this relationship things would be okay, gucci okay, yeah. you know if i could <laughs> fix this thing things would be gucci oh, i'm just a little tired today like if i could maybe i need a little cleanse or maybe i need this yeah. little thing so you're focused on the body you're focused on the externalization of all your challenges but you don't really realize what the true sickness is inside and it, honestly it took me five days in the darkness before i really realized what the sickness was and and we'll get to that but really it was almost as if you know i was quite confident going into the darkness and i didn't think the darkness was going to be able to break me and i was right the darkness wasn't going to be able to break me because i was already broken Mm. and the darkness had to put me back together and Mm. as soon as the darkness put me back together it fucking broke me yeah you know and that was like that was the interesting part was and and broke me in a good way you know like kind of cracked me open from um my own kind of delusional mental pathologies that i'd been living in yeah the way that i think about it is that if your leg breaks and it heals crooked you can walk on it but it's painful. But if you are going to heal it, you have to re-break it. And yeah. It has to be reset, and then that allows it to heal properly. Yeah, you know. And I think the ordinary world is something that a lot of people can identify with. That you don't know what it is that's wrong, but you know that something is off. And it's not until you go through the hero's journey that you recognize what it was that was wrong. Yeah, there's a great quote from Khalil Gibran that I was using before I went in and it really resonated and um it basically says there every man is two men one who sleeps in the light and the other who wakes in the darkness Mm. and the ordinary world is the world of sleeping in the light yeah right like we just we're going through the motions we're doing what we're supposed to do we're accomplishing the things we're supposed to accomplish we have the relationship that everybody is applauding us for we have the the body the meat suit that everybody's like nice fucking suit and you're <laughs> like yeah it's pretty good right not so bad yeah. you know like and then whatever outfit you're wearing whatever other things what car you're driving what are all of these things that people are reinforcing like yeah good job man you're doing yeah. great and the ordinary world saying like really good but inside we're like uh, i don't know yeah it's There's the, some problems it's the young buddha in the palace walls and his father gave him all the women and all the feasts and all the parties but a part of him knew you know because he saw death for the first time he's like i have to leave yeah i have to go he even had babies i didn't know that i yeah. think he had babies in the in the palace walls can someone look that up the buddha have babies i think he had like he did the whole thing yeah like he had like he had the whole setup inside the palace walls but that was his ordinary world but it still wasn't 
it still wasn't it wasn't his calling it wasn't his calling yeah you know something was still off even though he'd had everything that everybody was looking for what does it say he had, a, he had just had a child right before he left just mm-hmm. had a child right before he left i mean he did the whole ordinary world thing all yeah. the way to the end the yep. feasts the women the childbirth the whole thing yeah and nothing could you know nothing could kind of quench his call to adventure which is the yeah. second you know second stage of this journey yeah and so let's get into the call for you um what was the call and i guess how did it arise in your life and then how did you say yes because you went on this trip and there was a lot that had to happen to get you to the point of walking through that doorway into the darkness can you kind of tell us what that story was it was it was almost like it was just a I heard the call and I, I've had enough experience hearing calls and knowing when the call is clear enough and mm. knowing the source of the call. Yeah. Like the source of this call is not like the call when my homie's like, yo, I'm throwing a party trip. <laughs> it's on a yacht. Like here, are the yeah. Instagram profiles of the people who yeah. are coming, like it's going to be sick. Like that's a call that comes from maybe my groin and my head. And mm. I'm like, yeah, that sounds fun. The ego, Let's fucking yeah. do that that's a different type of call that's mm. you know lust and desire and the desire to chase a thrill or a pleasure or an yeah. experience this was something much much deeper and so it was a i know enough now that that call is undeniable yeah. so we just started looking at the locations and ended up settling on the perfect location out in the black forest in germany a little town i think it's called Sachbenwalden which I think uh, one of the drivers told me translates to the middle of nowhere. Mm, perfect. But it's just this like beautiful pastoral, you know, landscape out there and um, led by a retreat director who spent 10 years studying under a guru in India, spent a month in isolation in a dark cave and is like Damn. deeply steeped in the meditative traditions yeah. of uh, the Hindu lineage. Has a beautiful family in this house and eight dark rooms. And, uh, you know... It's just they go under the name Darkness Retreat, mm. you know, and and that's um, and that was the place that ended up and it ended up working out and it ended up happening to be right on the tail end of this crazy trip to Poland that yeah. I took with a bunch of great dudes, uh, like a real communities, you know, of men that just flourished in the in the initiation underneath mm. the cold with Wim Hof, which was like a in some ways a great preparation because it it told me that i could push through challenges Mm -hmm. that were incredibly extreme you know i mean we climbed mount schnishka which was a four and a half hour climb without a shirt on and it was like sleet and snow we spent 10 minutes in a ice bath where we had to break the type top of the ice and i spent you know over two minutes underneath the water and all stuff like i'm not recommending necessarily (laughs) but nonetheless having everybody there supporting was just a huge element of that and also you know taught me to you know what was possible when i really like set my mind straight but it also was exhausting for sure it was so i did not come in fucking rested no two things come up um when you were talking and i think the first one is you're used to going through this cycle so you know when you hear that soul call that it's pointless to refuse but for most people and i think you did a good point articulating that there's kind of two calls there's the ego call where the moment you hear the ego call you want to do it there's no resistance (laughs) yeah but when you hear the soul call for most people your first reaction to it will be the ego being like no no 
I can't have that conversation. I can't go do that thing outside of my job. I can't go on this adventure. And I think that recognizing that if you feel it and the first reaction is fear and resistance, that's probably the soul calling. And the other thing that comes up is the beauty of going to Poland first. It kind of reminds me of like when one of the knights would go, like when they knew they had to go on one of their quests, they would all get together in the meat hall, congregate, have that community because they didn't know, you know, mm -hmm. if they'd be coming back so they could reconnect to their tribe, but then they got to go out alone. Yeah. Into the forest is almost always where they go. And where did you go? Into the into dark the forest. forest. Yeah. Yeah. Into the darkness. Yeah. Those are, those are both good points. I think that, um, it was interesting seeing the projections of other people when I would tell them about this. Mm. Like I've, I've done virtually every psychedelic drug that's out there from, from a plant source. Yeah and all in the traditional ways all with the shamans all in the ways and people are pretty comfortable with that mm. you know people aren't really that scared they're like oh have a great time man have a great journey but i would tell people i was going into the darkness and isolation and darkness where it was going to be silence and blackness pitch yeah. blackness and people were like don't fucking do that mm. <laughs> like that's crazy you're gonna go insane like yeah. i think people were projecting their own fears of that thing which is a very interesting thing i mean they were projecting their own refusal of the call which yeah, is dog. the step three of the step three of the journey right yeah. like the refusal is like this is too scary mm -hmm. but the interesting thing is what's too scary you alone with your mind right are you scared of your mind i mean that's the that's the thing right yeah. you know and people have other reasons they're scared of the dark well what if someone snuck in the room and i'm like okay you know like you're in a house with like 12 people yeah what if yeah. and like there's i guess there's some miniature chance but i don't think that's really why people are scared of the dark it's not, no. you know they're scared of they're scared of having to deal with their mind without their any distraction their shadow all of the recesses you know you're in you're in the true cave yeah. of your psyche and i think the thing that comes up for me is all the traditional plant medicines they have a container that's been built over centuries and they have guides. And I think a lot of people rely on the container and the guide because they're afraid that they won't be able to handle themselves. But darkness, it's just you. It's only you, but you are also a lot more than you think you are. That's what you learn. That's what you learn. And, you know, I mean, I, in some ways I kind of like, I kind of flippantly brushed off some of their concerns. Like, <laughs> what am I going to, what is my mind going to kick my ass? Yeah. You know, like I knew it was going to, I knew it was going to be hard, but I didn't realize yeah. like how grueling yeah. it would be to really confront everything when you start peeling off the yeah. protective layers and the armor that you have. And you really have to come face to face with literally zero distraction. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing that you can do in in that environment and we'll talk more about the environment yeah that was the next question i was about to ask yeah. before we get into meeting the mentors can you kind of set the stage <clears throat> like what was your cave what was the container what did it look like what was like what was the meat suit patterns that were the container of this experience yeah so all right so you go up you know a lovely family that runs this the retreat director's name is Bharati. she's the one who studied in india underneath the guru she spent three years doing mantras and meditations until she could finally see visions and then as soon as she saw visions in her third eye her guru was like okay now go to the cave and she spent 30 mm. days in a cave 
in the darkness. And then, you know, a couple days into the cave, her visions exploded into her mind and she was actually getting kind of pissed off. She was like, you made me do mantras 14 hours a day for three years and all I had to do was go in the cave and I could get these visions. Yeah. He's like, well, I wanted you to learn the hard way. Mm. You know, like I wanted you to learn that way first and then the cave will show you, you know, kind of what you're really capable of yeah he started her or she showed her how to start a fire and the darkness was all the fodder yeah exactly exactly and it's interesting thinking back to you look at all of these kind of mystical traditions Mm -hmm. you read rumi's writing and he has some really interesting quotes you even go back to some biblical teachings you know jesus spent 40 days in the desert initiation rituals well, what's yeah. what is the signature of the desert i mean maybe it was an actual desert but the bible is full of allegory mm-hmm. it's full of metaphor yeah right like that's the only way that you can actually read it to get the most wisdom the out desert of is sure. an environment that's absent of life it's absent of distraction it's absent of anything else that's one of the, the one of the beautiful parts of desert medicine yeah is that it's just kind of you and yourself you're not mm-hmm. interacting with a lot of animals but the ultimate desert is the darkness yeah that is the complete removal of everything else and so it's it's kind of curious to me and i, and I would hypothesize that the most enlightening experience would not be to go to just a sandy place and just chill under a tree in a sandy place which i'm sure the isolation the vipassana of just being alone in a sandy place where the sun comes up and the sun comes down i'm sure that's valuable but you really want to go deep the desert is a cave you know, the desert is the black, that luxurious, you know, <laughs> everything that's available in the black and the yeah. opening of all of your other extrasensory faculties, you know. So it was curious to kind of think about that. And then there's some Tibetan Buddhist traditions where they stay in caves for 49 days. Right. There's some other mystical traditions where medicine, young medicine men and women are kept in caves for most of their childhood. There's a lot of these other things pointing to this, but I think the fear around it is pretty significant for sure but the thing itself is actually fairly comfortable so imagine like a rectangular room Mm -hmm. you walk through the door i got a little cot to my left and the cot has they actually upgraded the bedding for me had a little neck pillow had a little memory foam nice really nice (laughs) then to my right as soon as i enter the door is a little table where i can eat and a little chair with a rattan kind of wood that's around it and that's very important because i (laughs) fucking smash my face on it so and then there's a window that's completely blacked out that you're able to open because that's the only way to get in circulation and there's a radiator underneath the window and then there's a tiny little toilet and a shower and then there's a dress there's a dresser and in the other like far left hand side there's a dresser and then there's a little uh tiny little couch thing where that's like a one-seater mm-hmm. and a um a yoga mat so the whole room is probably 20 foot by 10 foot and um but cozy mm-hmm. and then to get into the room you go through two doors and then you go into this little hallway across from my door was another room another blacked out room and then if if i went left then that was where they dropped off the food so it's almost like there was an in-between chamber between where you were sleeping chamber. and where they were all that exactly. you could go meet, but it was still completely black. Completely black. So there's a little hallway in there. And then if I went to the right, that took me through two doors into the main house. If I went left, it took me to the end of the hallway where they would drop off my food. Mm. 
and they would ring a little bell and drop off my food. So the, this in-between chamber was where they would leave food and you would walk out yeah, there, so but it was still your completely door, dark. walk out and get the food. Got it. And um, so I kind of spent the first day when I arrived just kind of memorizing memorizing the place yeah. and they had a couple little um they had two little girls who lived in the house which was really sweet and one of them picked out this necklace that i have you can hear me kind of rolling the beads if you're just listening uh they're called rude raksha seeds and um they come from this these sacred trees in india and they each have different meanings depending on how many quote eyes they have it has another hindu name but um they look like little brains i know they do look like little brains and she just picked it out for me her name was ananda and she's i was like which necklace should i have mm. she's like oh this one and i was like okay i'll bring that in and i'm really glad i did because this was kind of like a anchor this was my little blankie <laughs> this is my <laughs> yeah. blankie as things got like really gnarly yeah. there in the black which they certainly did so then i spent everything you know the first night just kind of memorizing everything and just like okay this is where this is this is where my clothes are these are where all my supplements are this is where everything that i need is this is where i have extra nuts in case i'm hungry because uh, the diet was raw vegan so i wanted to make sure i had a little extra protein so got some nuts and had a few different things and i was like all right i think i got everything <laughs> sorted out and uh Next day, went for a little hike, you know, shot a little video footage on my phone, which I don't know what I'm going to do with, but maybe there'll be, because uh, there's quite a bit of video footage. You actually yeah. watched one that I did infrared in the dark with mm -hmm. my mindfold. Um, and then prepared and uh, prepared to go in. The other thing about that is you have a mindfold blindfold. So if people don't understand the mindfold blindfold, this is technology like anything else is technology, even though it's not electronic. It is the absolute best blindfold for blocking out all light and allowing you to open your eyes. So if anybody is looking for a blindfold for meditation, for any kind of work, like look up the mindfold blindfold and it's phenomenal. And that's essential for this because as I said, to get circulation into the room, you have to open the window. So right. before you open the window, you got to put on your mindfold so you still continue to block out all light. Yeah, because when you're in that state, the smallest sliver of light will look like a fucking flashlight or a sun. Yep. And it will start to, you know, if you if you have a light accident, which I did have actually at one point, a light accident. They call them a light accident. It's like yeah. you like spilled light on yourself. Yeah. Then it will slow down the visions right. that you have significantly because your brain will start to trigger whatever response. I mean, they have their theories about it, right? And and we're venturing into the unproven. Basically, what they're saying is that when your body's used to the circadian rhythm of light, you know, triggering the hormonal responses and then diminishing melatonin and then darkness increasing melatonin, which I know some people point to the fact that this doesn't work exactly this way for blind people. And I don't know how that really works with blind people, the circadian rhythm and the melatonin cycle. But I, it is known that light affects the melatonin cycle and circadian rhythm. Right. So I think for people who are adapted to light, that when you're in darkness, that's when the melatonin spikes. Right. My understanding of it is that even if you're blind, your eyes are still receiving information that photons are hitting it, but your brain isn't converting it to images, and it's the absence of the photons that trigger the hallucinations. I think of the that I think that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, 
for sure. Be cool to talk to like a scientist about this, especially given this experience and given sure. my extensive experience with DMT yeah. and being like, yo, like what <laughs> it's do we the got, same, dog. like what do we got to do besides cut someone's brain open to kind of prove that this mm-hmm. is happening here? So that would be interesting to do. So anyways, um, we start off with uh, we start off with the process, and Bharati, you know, she sings some Hindi songs, mm-hmm. and then, you know, we have a candle, and then she blows out the candle, mm. and it's just pitch black, and there I am in the darkness. One of the things that I want to lay out for people is that the hero's journey is not this linear, like step by step by step. It, it often you can jump between these things. They're archetypical stages of experience of basically transformation. And that stage four is meeting the mentor. And on one level, Bharati was a mentor. Totally. But, but once you got into the darkness, the, the real darkness mentor, the mentor. Right. And then the visions were the mentors, you know? Yeah. But if we're going to put this structure onto the story of the hero's journey, stage four, meeting the mentors, that was Bharati. That was her creating this container for you. And then crossing the threshold was when she blew out the candle. Yeah, that was it. That was the crossing the threshold moment. And then once you cross the threshold, you're in a new ordinary world. Right. Like your ordinary world is gone and your new world is not so ordinary, but it's, it's your world. So like, the immediate thing that you realize is you start to learn about how to navigate that world, Mm. right? Like you take a shit. You don't know when you're done wiping. What are your options? You're going to smell the toilet paper (laughs) or you're just going to hop in the shower? Well, I chose, I'm just going to hop in the shower. So I, you know, all of my showers were dictated by when I needed to take a shit Yeah, because that was like the only way that I knew I was going to be clean. Yeah. And like in, in the hero's journey, you know, there's the ordinary world. Crossing the threshold puts you into the special world or the unusual world or the unordinary world. And a part of the trials is learning simply how to be in that new place because it's not what you used to know. And the fact of removing all sight, like what was once the ordinary world is now the unordinary world. Yep. And a part of being a human is we have to make the unordinary ordinary in order to function inside of it. So you have to relearn how to shit, how to brush your teeth, how to walk how to eat okay so brush talk about brush your teeth right like it's so hard to see things in the dark like getting the toothpaste in the right amount on the toothbrush head (laughs) i realized very quickly was impossible yeah so here's how you brush your teeth you brush your teeth by flipping open the toothpick toothpaste and squeezing it in your mouth (laughs) and then just grabbing the toothbrush and then rubbing it around yeah like there's no putting the toothpaste on the toothbrush like that that doesn't work right and then with food you really are just in a state of like trust with what you're eating like you can't really look at it and so you know and and i i would kind of feel it and this was another big thing is you know i have I'm constantly washing my hands and sanitizing my hands. And I recognize that while this may have some pragmatic benefit, it is also me like coating my hands in a constant little layer of fear. Hmm. It's my fear of getting sick and it's my fear of transferring germs, right? So I'm caught in this weird thing of, is this practical or is this just actualizing my fear? But in the darkness, like you really don't have that opportunity because your hands are your sight. So you're touching everything. You have to like touch all of your food. You have to touch the walls to find your way. You have to touch all of the things around you. I would have spent the entire time just fucking sanitizing my hands from all the things I was looking for on the ground, looking for on the wall. So I had to be like, 
you know what like this just isn't gonna work yeah you know i have to like let go of this thing that i'm used to and like embrace that fear yeah and what's interesting is that's that that feels like it reveals that in your waking life when you have sight the constant sanitizing of the hands is like you're amputating a part of your sense body because if if you don't allow yourself to use your hands to experience the world it's like you're removing a part of your tools totally yeah. Totally. And thinking about it constantly, what what kind of occupation of thought is that going on in my mind where I'm constantly like, oh, well, I've touched that. I better wash my hands after <laughs> yeah. I've touched that. And now if I'm eating food, like I got to stop that. Like, I don't know how many times I go to a restaurant and before I'll even have the bread or do anything, it's like, ah, sorry, guys, let me just go to the restroom or maybe I'll have some hand sanitizer in my fanny pack. And like, maybe that's prevented me from getting sick once or twice in my life you know but if you really read about it like that's usually not why you get sick you get sick because you're around somebody who's fucking sick you know like it's okay to touch things yeah you know but you just get used in these habitual patterns and so wrestling with my wellness was definitely something that was exposed quickly yeah from that from that thing the other thing is silence like Mm. people are talking about the darkness yeah. And the darkness is, you know, obviously the main medicine there, but it's also silent. Silent. Like that in and of itself is intense, mm-hmm. you know. And for those of us who've been in a sensory deprivation tank, that's the point. Yeah. Is silence and darkness, but it's short. And <laughs> and the weightlessness gets you in this kind of meditative process and then at a certain point you start to stir and you're like, "Okay, good. Oh, my session's over." session's not over no dog it's just like it's continual so to break up the silence they had barati had a device in there which is a little speaker with no lights and you just click it on and it does one thing and it has uh they call it an ohm box and it plays ohm on a 15 second loop whoa indefinitely so it's ohm and that's like all you got that's all you got so your choices are dead silence or the own box or you can if you're getting fresh air you can put your mindfold on and open the window and you'll start to hear some outside sounds which are quite lovely the outside sounds were actually my preference Mm. but the mindfold itself gets irritating to the eyes and so you can't keep that on for like longer than an hour without that being like an irritant right so it was just this kind of balance of like silence, ohm on repeat, which eventually became maddening because yeah. I kind of like over relied on that. And then the outside, which was like the moments of heavenly sound, yeah. of just hearing an occasional bird or hearing a rooster. And just to bring something. awareness, like all of us in, a, in our day, when we're on autopilot, it's literally maybe one second of no stimulus and our brain instantly reaches for the cacophony of things that we go to to not be still and like i could go a week and not have more than a single second of non-reactive seeking of stimulus and the fact six days yeah like i remember the day that you went in i was going to bed that night and like it came up in my head like what if i did this and I, I felt my face get flushed <laughs> with fear when I was laying in bed mm-hmm. thinking about like 
I don't think I'm at a point in my life where I could do this, like where I could do six days. It's actually a little bit ironic that I'm talking about light therapy during my darkness podcast because that would have been quite exciting for me in the darkness to have a juve red light therapy that I could use, something to pass the time, something that I knew that was going to be healthy for me, maybe help me sleep, which was obviously something that would have been great. Um, And, you know, perhaps the benefits that happened below the waist would have been a little bit wasted because there's really nothing to do in the darkness having to do with that. Uh, But Juve is just one of those excellent products that when you're in waking life, you really want to have one of these. If you can afford it, if it's something that is viable for you to have, and they have a bunch of different sizes. They have the mini, they have the handheld go, and then they have the full body devices, which are also awesome. I use these as much as I can, pretty much almost every morning when I wake up. It's just part of my morning routine. I'll get my tea, which is usually a blended tea, and I'll go stand in front of the juve light and just know that it's helping restore my body, helping reduce any of that inflammation that I'm feeling, and just making me feel great and ready for the day. So definitely check it out if it's something you're interested in. It's J-O-O-V-V. And so go to J-O-O-V-V.com slash Aubrey and use the code Aubrey and you'll get a free gift with your purchase. And I'll be mad appreciative because that's what helps this podcast be what it is. Thanks, fam. I was shocked at what an initiation it was. Like I I was called to it and so I kind of came in with a certain certain confidence and a certain thoughtlessness about it. But I was really shocked at the intensity of it. Yeah. Um, you know what you what you just said though reminded me of kind of in in one of the last days. The first few days were really hard, escalating into kind of like peak challenge, probably around day three or four. In certain ways, there was also another secondary, really deep challenge on day five, and I want to go through all the days. Yeah. But I remember in in one of the lighter moments on day five, I was thinking like, man. I used to complain about long plane flights. <laughs> you fucking puss. <laughs> Complaining about long plane flights? Oh, you have your favorite books and you have movies and you have someone you can talk to and you can order things from a fucking and you can see? stewardess and you can see and you can listen to all your music and like you're in a virtual parent. Oh, and you have to change. Like I don't like I don't like, you know, changing. I don't have I don't like connecting flights. I'm like Oh, you have to go to an airport where there's tons of people and things you can buy and snacks you can have. And like, you're worried about that. And you can hop on your phone and call whoever you want or text someone and you'll hear something back or communicate with, you know, hundreds of thousands of people on your social media. You're complaining about that. Like, get the fuck out of here. You know, because in the, in the darkness, in the isolation, you got nothing. Yeah. You got none of that. You know, and so it really shifts, like shifts your appreciation for these times that we think are bored. Like, oh man, yeah, long plane flight. You had everything. Yeah. You know, yeah, all right. Maybe you can't go to the gym when you're on the plane. You know, maybe you can't run around. Like there's slight limitations to the radical freedom that we're used to when we're home or when we've arrived somewhere. But it's still like a paradise of yeah. activities and things that you can do, both distractive and like informative and accretive to your life in, in all of the different ways. Yeah, and it's a reflection of hedonic adaptation that if we're unconscious, our mind will take for granted 
the symphony of perfection that's happening and we'll only look for the things that we wish were different. Yeah. And by removing all of it, you know, it really reconnects us to the gratitude. Like we live in a banquet. Like everyone listening to this, because I'm sure there can there are people who will tell the story, oh, I'm not Aubrey. I don't have what Aubrey has. He's talking shit that I can't relate to. If you have the time to hear this and you have the means to listen to this, like you are in the 1% of the world, you know, like <clears throat> you are living in a feast and it's, it's really easy to take it for granted if you don't put yourself through these types of initiation rituals and you don't have to go in darkness for six days. You could simply go outside, turn off your phone, spend one hour not reacting and then the whole day is more delicious. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, people who are judging, you know, this idea of judging something that's better, you know, and I know I'm jumping around here a little bit, but one of the things that I was invited to after my fourth day in the darkness was the family gets together, Brati and the family, and every night as part of their um, spiritual tradition, they sing songs and chants Mm -hmm. together at night. And, they so her her husband and her two daughters and then anybody else who's been helping in the kitchen and any other guests that they want to invite to their family thing get to go down there and sing that's beautiful and it was absolutely beautiful man i mean this is a this is a humble house in in Sachsenwalden germany but having everybody around there and there's certain songs where they have like think a 3 year old and a 5 year old the five-year-old can sing a little mm. bit. The three-year-old, all she can do is run around in between us. And I have my blindfold on, but I could hear the bells. She has a little <sighs> bell and she just rings this bell. And I thought about it and I was like, this is fucking family. Yeah, Like this is the most important thing, period. And mm-hmm. I remember back to my own childhood. I remember when my family, we all lived in a two-bedroom cabin on a, on a place in Dripping Springs. This was when I was still in high school. And my mom, my mom, my stepdad, and my three sisters lived in the master bedroom. I had my own bedroom, which was basically just a bed, and all there was was a living room kitchen. Mm. That was it. It was like it was like a basically like a trailer sized home. Yeah, it was absolutely the happiest time our family had ever had. Yeah, because every night, you know what you know what there was to do? Nothing. We didn't have TV, so we just put on music and we sang and we danced and we did karaoke performances and we just hung out with each other yeah and it was like the happiest time like we all went to bed so full and now you know there's mansions and there's you know big places you know obviously my stepdad's business has flourished and everything is on a bigger scale but what was the best time the best time wasn't that the best time was when we were all in that little cabin you know and i think the best time for that family that I was staying with is when they're all just singing together and they're yeah. all like right there together. So this idea that more makes you happier, that really starts to dissolve yeah. because you don't care about that. Like what did I what did I ultimately care about? I just cared about like hugging the people I loved. Yeah. You know, I just cared about being able to talk to them. Music alone. Like all of us can listen to music. If you're listening to this podcast, you can listen to music. You know what a fucking gift it is to listen to music? Like that, it's just incredible. Yeah. When you've been in silence for so long. Like music is so rich in its own, like, in its own way. And and all of the things we get to experience, nature, all of these things. It's yeah. not like I was like, man, I miss my I miss my really nice watch. No. <laughs> you know, no. I miss my I miss my blah blah blah. It was not that. It's like 
you miss the the real stuff the, the connection things that stir your soul yeah not the ego exactly exactly and that's those are really important lessons because we can yeah. get stuck and stuck in this more for more's sake growth yeah. for growth's sake but it may actually be taking us farther from what we really really want yeah which is intimacy which is the opposite of space that the mansions and the cars and the planes give because yeah. that increases space yeah whereas what the soul wants is like i want you next to me we're singing we're hugging we're loving and if you look, you know, you, you listen to my podcast I did with Travis Christofferson and he talks about how loneliness, yeah. self-reported loneliness is the number one indicator of premature death. Yeah. And the blue zones, you know, they, they keep looking to dietary, you know, reasons for the blue zones, which are areas where people live a long time. Mm -hmm. And he's like, it's not the diets. The, the diets vary a little bit and they're usually decent, but some have a lot of rice, some have a lot of olive oil, some have a lot of yogurt. You know, you can point to whatever thing that you that you like, but ultimately they're all in places that are packed very closely together. Communal. So there's a sense of community yeah. that you're around people, you're inviting people over for dinner. There's people constantly in your life. You're close in yeah, close man. proximity, and that's that's I think really what fills fills us with that kind of joy and love that not only keeps us alive but makes life worth living yeah the thing that comes up is it's almost like our psyche has evolved to be a part of a body of people and that when you buy the mansion and you have the job it's like a tourniquet around the hand and if it can't connect to the rest of the body it dies yeah but it just wants to fucking be connected and that tourniquet might look like a rolex yeah dog you know like you may be putting Rolex tourniquets on all your hands and numbing yourself out. Yeah, man. You know, and that's I think the the tragedy of the the story of the ordinary world. Yeah. So, anyways, I go in there though, and yeah, day one, please. Tell day <laughs> one, you know, before we jump too far ahead, day yeah. one, you know, the the first I have a really deep meditation on day one, which was great. Um, I think I was really ready for it. Yeah. And the blackness is just such a beautiful technology. It's like, it's luxurious, it's beautiful. I even had the word, I wasn't even sure what this word meant. And sometimes I would get words in my head and I was like, wow, the blackness is obsequious. Mm. I was like, obsequious? I don't think I'd even really know what that means. <laughs> but that means like really attentive. It would mm. be like there's an obsequious waiter who's just constantly providing you with what you need. It's just so rich and abundant that it's just the, it's, such a great teacher yeah and it's so full like we think of black as the absence of things black is the everything it's all of the things and that's just the way that you look at it and it became really clear in these early meditations like if you have the most blinding white light and you have the deepest darkest black mm. they're the same thing you see nothing it's just the one you're back to the one at that point so yeah. whether it's everything all the light or nothing all the black you know it's all the same everything yeah. nothing it's all it's just a matter of perspective you know and so within the black is everything and you know so many people came and, and i appreciate their well wishes there was so many people saying <laughs> sending you light sending you light and i was like <laughs> no dog. i appreciate that but send me the send me darkness and it's just as much it's just as beautiful it's just a matter of your perspective still god and i remember seeing an upside down heart and there was a it was so it's the other ways upside down heart 
And it just reminded me that black is just another way to look at, you know, the manifestations and articulations of love in the universe. It's just the other way of looking at it. So we think light equals love equals, mm. you know, divinity. Yeah. Black equals, you know, chaos equals love equals divinity. It's all, it's all the same. It's just about our perspective. And I think as I started to unravel this more and more, you start to just recognize, and plant medicine does a great job of this too. Sure. And Ram Dass's teachings have been a huge guide in this, but just learning to really love and appreciate all aspects of the cosmic dance. Yeah, and I think that it's a reflection of the ordinary world that most of us have this implicit assumption that God is half and God is the light. And then whatever the opposite of God is, is this other half, and that that's the darkness. And it's been so embedded in us by Christianity that there's God and the devil. <clears throat> but, you know, what plant medicines will show you and what the darkness showed you is it's like an Ouroboros. Yeah. And the, as you go around, you come back, and it's all, all God. Yeah. That's the truth. That's the truth. It was interesting, you know, when I went back, I I, I had a lot of visions, and it was interesting for me to see that some of my visions started on day one mm. and they were just in the depth of my meditation yeah and they weren't the fractal kind of visions but you know certain times things come to me in deep meditations and i think between at that point the own box was really working kind of mm -hmm. helping me put into trance i was doing a lot of the breathing techniques i went really deep with some breath work and you know so that was that was kind of the first moment where I started to have a really some really profound visions, and that was one that I think I've shared with most people, you know, just in person. Was that was actually when I had my vision of Buddha, mm. and that was because I was really I was really in even I was really in a somber place. Yeah, when I went in there, like I wasn't happy, and I haven't been happy for a long time. I found a moment of happiness, some moments of happiness in Poland, mm -hmm. just being around my friends and brothers. And I remember sitting around at the dinner table after one of our crazy adventures, and I was just, I actually started to just by myself just tear up. And like someone, I think Matthew Hussey, you know, she's like, "What's going on, mate?" And I was like, "I'm just fucking happy, man. Like I'm really just happy." And that, yeah. like, that happiness was such a contrast to my life um, before that it was it was profound. Yeah. You know, because because I'll burst into moments of laughter or different things, but for the most part, I'm pretty I'm a pretty somber kind of fellow, you know, which is probably surprising to most. But it's just yeah. that's kind of my normal state, unless I intoxicate my way out of it or find yeah. some other solution to kind of get me to the other side. And I wouldn't it wouldn't go so far to say that I'm depressed. I think a lot of those depressions I've been able to kind of work through, but mm -hmm. it's just kind of like pretty pretty low energy and pretty kind of down and in the darkness there's nothing that you're putting on for anybody so mm. i just really let myself i was yeah. just i just yeah. was what i was in there so anyways i see buddha and buddha comes as this shining like golden golden light figure and is and i just recognize it as buddha and i and buddha was smiling so big and i'm all somber <laughs> and i say buddha why are you smiling and Buddha says to me in my own mind's eye, goes, why aren't you smiling? <laughs> and that actually made me smile a little bit. And then Buddha started laughing. I said, Buddha, why are you laughing? And Buddha says, why aren't you laughing? And I was like, oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I get it. There was like, and there was nothing else to say. Right. I always like, whenever I encounter a being like that, I always think like, I should have asked some more interesting <laughs> shit, you know? Like I should have fucking really come out with some some questions, like mm-hmm. a notepad, but you know, that's the Buddha nature. You know, the Buddha nature is like the release of your all your, your attachments. So of yeah. course you're smiling. And I think a reflection of it is you've done enough work where you already know that you know and there's a pretending that you don't know and that when you're in that space and it's just you and the beings coming through your psyche they know that you know and so a lot doesn't need to be said yeah yeah a lot of those encounters were really short and it was but it was beautiful i mean it was something that something that's impactful you know knowing that if i had a little buddha that i could hang out with and every time i'm taking shit too seriously you know buddha would be there to be like smiling and i'd look and be like why aren't you smiling <laughs> like I don't know, my own delusions, my own shit, my own attachments yeah. to this thing that's important now, but it's going to be trivial in fucking 20 minutes or 20 days or 20 years, whatever. It's still in the in the span of time, it's going to be trivial, yeah, but I'm still caught up in it for now. And the truth is that you do have that. Yeah. A Buddha's here now. I know. What were the other visions that came to you on day one? There was just interesting visions of, you know, different kind of landscapes and different kind of worlds but there wasn't anything that particularly stood out like i listened to my recordings and i was i think i went into the such a deep theta that it was crossing that threshold of dream and awake right, yeah and those are those are the hardest ones to remember mm, because yeah. my my mental recorder is not like on for sure full blast yeah you know like an easier dream to remember like when you're in that kind of what feels like a gamma you know brainwave where you're like hyperactive Mm -hmm. and but still in the calm or alpha and things like that it's easier to remember what you're experiencing but in the theta it was like i basically was just in my recorder like wow that was a long deep meditation i don't remember that much but i remember but i but i remember feeling like it was a preview of what was to come Mm. You know, but it was it was kind of like blinded from me, and maybe even for a reason. And that's one of the interesting thing about dreams is that I often have dreams where I don't remember what the dream was, but the feeling that I felt it was trying to convey is super clear, and that I actually don't have to remember the dream. And so it yeah. feels like the vision was like, you know, it's coming, and it's coming. Buckle up. Yeah. Yeah, man. And then so then starting, you know, starting after that, after that good meditation felt kind of refreshed and just started trying to figure out the room a little better and then but really the the overwhelming thing that I kind of started to realize is I started just chewing on a lot of these issues these little practical decisions and relationships that had struggle I would get in the process of these what I would call mental bation, mm-hmm. which is just like going back and forth and yeah. just jerking off these thoughts mm-hmm. and like creating these hypothetical arguments and these hypothetical right. scenarios where I say this and they say this. Right. And I would just think about that and be like, how much have I done this my yeah. whole life? And interestingly, I, in Poland, I got to get really close with Mike Posner. Mm-hmm. And uh, for whatever reason, he was the voice I heard the most in the first few days of the journey and i would get in one of these things and i would just hear his voice in my head and he would go bro honestly it's not that important yeah i'd be like yeah man you're right yeah but i started to like catch myself 
in that. And that carried on through day two. Like day yeah. two, you know, there was the meditation wasn't as deep. So it was really just me and my psyche. And it was fucking ugly. Yeah. It was just ugly. I'm just going through this thing and this thing. I think at some point I decided that I needed to sell all my houses. And at some point I decided <laughs> I needed to like move everything and like get, like get out of like, I needed to get rid of everything. And all my things were external. Like I got to do this and do this and do this and do this. I was figuring all this shit out and like, oh, maybe not. I don't know. Like I got to get rid of all these relationships and blah, blah, blah. And it was like me just kind of going in this mental tirade, trying yeah. to fix what I was feeling internally, externally. But really, you know, ultimately what I ended up realizing is that everything that I needed to fix was internally and that my For life sure. was actually fucking awesome. Yeah. But I wasn't there yet. I was yeah. just like, I need to do this and I need to do this and I need to do this and I, and I need to do this. And it was also serious and also like dramatic and also kind of, it was really, really interesting. And I had some like, some interesting ideas that came out of that. Like I had this idea of, you know, the benefit of everybody having like a public confessional mm. where your deepest, darkest things that you hold in shame, you just share them yeah. and let people roast you for them. But that's okay. That's like your willingness to be martyred because you're giving freedom and permission for the next person to do it. And then the next person who does it is like, here's all my shit. Here's the porn that I watch. Here's the thoughts that I have. Here's the negative things that have run through my mind. Here's the... Here's the drugs that I've taken. Here's the things that I've done. Like, here it all is. Yeah. And like the liberation that would come from that was like really interesting. So it wasn't like all of it was wasted, but man, a lot of it was wasted. Yeah. A couple of things that come up is, so everything in our life that we make a subconscious or conscious agreement to ourselves that we want to change, it becomes an open loop is what cognitive psychologists call it. And it's like you're opening a tab on the browser of your consciousness. And the average person has like 150. The average CEO has about 500. And when you remove all stimulus, your brain starts to go through the tabs and you have hundreds. And the really interesting thing for me is I'm starting to get to the point where I'm starting to feel overwhelmed by the amount of things that I'm saying yes to. And when it comes to relationships, like, I almost never think out having a conversation with someone anymore because the one decision that I've made like a spiritual commitment to that removes the 10,000 decisions of trying to think about how a conversation will go is, do I have the awareness to hear my truth in the moment? If yes, speak it. Done. And like a lot of people talk about like when they take a shower, they'll think about an argument with someone or that when they're going on a walk or when they're going to sleep, they think about how they're going to work through a discussion that does not happen to me. And it's because I've made the commitment to that one thing. And it's just like, I release the egoic expectation of trying to control what this will be. I probably have a unrational or irrational belief in the God thing that if I just say my truth, whatever, whatever, and it closes like 200 tabs. Or the most highly rational. And that's what I was really rec wrestling with is because I do that so much. And it's such a fucking colossal waste of time because it just puts me in these, puts me in these anxious states. You know, one thing you learn in the dark is you have to do ver everything very intentionally. And everything's very slow. But it's not Zen slow where you're like doing things effortlessly and perfectly. Like imagine a Zen tea ceremony right. where you're grabbing like the glass so. and like 
it's like everything is like this effort it's clumsy slow you still are moving slow but you're feeling around and you're getting your fingers in the avocado and you're like screwing it up. it's not like but you have to do it intentionally otherwise you just make a mess of things yeah you know in that in that kind of way um but you know that that idea of just going through all of these different other things just just ends up ends up like putting you in a state so when i was in these like mental arguments hypothetical mental arguments with people who i had unresolved issues with i remember that was the first time that i caught myself eating and i was eating so unconsciously mm. it's just like you know like like just ravenously going through this bowl of food as fast as i could which look you don't have a lot of shit to do in there like what a waste that and not only was i in putting myself in a negative state where i was antsy and aggravated because of this completely fictitious argument that i was having where someone was compl- saying completely made up things to For me sure. and i was coming up with my own re- refutations mm-hmm. to their made up things which i probably wouldn't even have the balls to say in the first <laughs> place even if they did say that yeah. right and i found myself eating in this way and i was like and then i like bit my lip and i was like come on man oh wow slow down yeah like slow down see what's happening here like none of this is good you know like take your time with your food this argument isn't real you know like just calm yourself down so that second day was so much just trying to calm myself down and i started to develop like rituals Mm. that would help calm me down so uh, I was taught by Bharati. There's the five, they use the different fingers to denote the five elements. Thumb is earth. Pointer finger is fire. Middle finger is ether or spirit. Ring finger is water, and little finger is air. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, well, look, I'm going to do something that represents all five of these elements. So for earth, you know, I'm going to exercise my body. I had a myofascial ball in there. I was going to do yoga. Sometimes I would just shake. I would just yeah. move around. I'm going to do something to keep my body moving because I'm confined to this small room and I want to like keep moving and not like atrophy. And so I was trying to do something like that. Um, fire, I decided was instead of actual literal fire, I decided I was going to make it about the divine fire of my own love, my own self-love. So I took these uh rudraksha beads and there's 55 of them total one of which is the guru bead which is the one that has the little sprout of yarn at the end and i would go around and i would do kamal ravakant's i love you Mm. so i love myself so i love myself breathe out anything that wasn't and then i would move from bead to bead and i would go through 54 of those which would take a while and then when i would get to the guru bead the 55th bead that's when i would do something from Joe Dispenza or something that we did at the Fit for Service Fellowship with Maya where I was grateful for an outcome that hasn't happened yet, mm. which is calling from the, in Joe Dispenza's language, calling from the quantum realm of possibilities and magnetizing it by your emotional state. What Jesus would say, pray as if it has already been done. Mm. So creating the reality where my body felt like what I was looking for had already happened. Yeah. So I would be grateful, like, oh, I'm just so grateful that I'm out of here and I'm sharing this story and mm. it's reaching people and it's all oh, so thankful for that and it's, it just feels so good. So maybe it would be that or maybe it would be something with my health or maybe it would be something with, 
I'm so glad that the situation resolved in just the perfect way. Yeah. You know, so I would go to that. But it would take me all the way around the 54 beads, which was also helpful as well. Yeah. And then I would get to that. And that's a practice that I've continued and want to, and want to continue as well because um, it was really helpful along that. So that was fire. And then uh, ether or spirit, that was the next one. And those were my meditations. And so that was me actually meditating long enough that I could actually form that connection to source. Water was me taking cold showers, mm. which now, you know, after being in Poland, <laughs> Ain't like, shit. now it's like not a big deal, yeah. you know, and, uh, and then that felt really good. That was like a refreshing thing. I suppose I could have done something with the hot too, but I just didn't have opportunity to do anything with the hot, um, hot water, cold water. So I was just using the cold water. And then air was my breathwork practice. Mm, yeah. And that's breathing in deeply, putting like a bolster on your mid-back so you can really expand your lungs, belly, chest, head in, in the full Wim Hof style. Breathing, breathing, breathing until you feel the tingles. Exhaling, not all the way, but he calls it one atmosphere. <sighs> Just to here. And then it's not all the way to here. <laughs> right, right, right. So exhaling one atmosphere and then holding your breath. Yeah. And you know he's found that that's the best way to reduce inflammation. And I was still a little fucked up from my travels to Poland. So sure. reducing inflammation was huge. So I'd go for a couple rounds of that, hold my breath. And interestingly, in the breath holds, I would start to get the first kind of glimpses of the flashes of light mm. that would ultimately become overwhelming. Interesting. So day two, it was my rituals, my... And, and he, that's expressed by Nama Shivaya. Those are the five different mm. elements that I was explained by Bharati anyways. And um, of earth, fire, ether, water, air. And I was like, all right, I'll make my way through these things. I'll eat. I'll do these different things. But for the most part, I was just fucking wrestling with myself. Yeah. And visions were very limited in day two. And so what comes up for me in that is that stage five. That's the tests and the allies. Stage and the six. Tests, yeah. And those were coming at you. And, you know, the mental bation, as you call it, uh, were the first tests and the allies were the ritual that yep. you developed yep. in the face of that test. Yep. No doubt. No doubt. All right, listen, y'all. I know I've been talking about mushrooms and the Four Sigmatic Mushrooms for a while. And I know a lot of you are buying the Four Sigmatic Mushrooms. And if you are, please just go to foursigmatic.com slash Aubrey and save yourself 15% and also show Four Sigmatic that we are some mushroom heads, you know, that we like this stuff, that we like having reishi mushrooms for calm and we like the chai blends and the cacao blends and we like lion's mane for our cognitive performance and we like our cordyceps for our energy. We like all this stuff because we like doing good stuff for our body. So it means a lot for everybody who goes to the link foursigmatic.com slash Aubrey and get yourself some dope stuff. They all come individually packaged. It's really easy to mix in blended teas or in smoothies. It's just a company that I love, and I'm just really grateful that they're here to support the podcast. So once again, go to foursigmatic.com slash AMP, A-M-P, that's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash AMP and receive 15% off your order. Okay, so day three, uh, and I'm also sleeping pretty good day one and day two. 
so so that idea that the melatonin starts to produce mm. i think is a, i think is a real thing because i was sleeping really well falling yeah. asleep going back to sleep and that's not a normal pattern for that's you. not i'm a, i'm not it's not easy for me to sleep yeah so that was something that was definitely unusual so um day three starts and day three starts to get considerably harder yeah because day three that's when it really started to test me whether and i really started to question my why like Mm. why the fuck am i doing this because i'm just stuck in my mind i'm wrestling with these different things i have ways to escape but the idea that all i would have to do is open the window and take my mindfold off Mm. and i would get to see the beautiful outside or i could just tell them that i was done and i could go on jogs every day through the black forest and i could go back into the meditations and and just use the blackness to meditate and and I could just, you know, stay there for the week, but like an unplug, but I didn't have to do the darkness. Yeah. So I'd start all of this negotiation with myself, Whoa. like constant negotiation with myself. And that made things so much fucking worse, Yeah. you know, because I realized I didn't, I didn't know my why, really. I was called to this. I showed up and then, but I still, I still hadn't gotten to the point where I knew my why, but I just kept hearing this voice like, have patience have patience and i ended up having i think a turning point that day is i had i was you know let it had my mindfold on and i was breathing the fresh air the other part about it too is the air outside the window smelled so sweet Mm. and i've smelled it before here in austin and different places but i swear every day it was like the ozone layer went all the way down to earth and i was breathing pure o3 air that was like informed by spring brooks and like (laughs) you know giant pines and it was like the most beautifully fragrant air i've ever smelled in my life i'm just smelling that and going like god i want to be outside Mm. You know, and there was an awning, so I couldn't feel any sun or anything like that. But I could just hear the outside, and I could smell the air. And I actually, I actually, you know, and I was still wrestling with the idea of like maybe I should just fucking call it and just go outside and do this. I actually uh, had an encounter with my grandma and grandpa then on day three. On day three, and I never actually got to meet my grandpa Aubrey, mm. um, but oh, he's wow. come to me in visions like once or twice before. And they're both there, and Grandpa Aubrey always has a big smile, and and Grandma, you know, Grandma was there, and Grandma was like, "Oh, I'm so proud for you. I'm so proud of you. I love you so much." And like, you're doing it. You're really doing it. I was like, "Thanks, Grandma." You know, and, and then Aubrey was there, and he was he was kind of echoing the same sentiment, mm-hmm. and I go, "I just don't know why I'm here." And then my grandpa Aubrey goes, you're here for the darkness, son. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> All right, grandpa. Like, yeah. Like that's, that was enough. And like that was enough to to kind of end that first round of the resistance that came from that. And just beautiful that I got to even have that encounter, imaginative or astrally real, whatever, you know, people are comfortable with, but to have that encounter with my grandma and my grandpa. And that was another one of the interesting kind of visions that came early. Yeah. The thing that comes up for me there is that one of the classic things that you find in all the hero myths is that the moment the hero is closest to giving up, that's when the guide, the mentor shows up. Mm -hmm. And like one of the most beautiful things to think about here is that 
the gift of being able to see your grandfather came from the fact that you put yourself in a situation where you almost gave up. Yeah. You know, that when you put the psyche through initiation rituals, it like it activates <clears throat> this part where the guides are sleeping. Like the guides are in us right now, but they don't have to be stirred because we're not in a acute stressor. But you put yourself in the darkness and you had the temptation of just fucking, you could just move your hand four inches and end the whole fucking thing. Yep. And because it was so close, it, it like it activates a part of the psyche that's not the ego. That's like, no. Yeah. You can do this. Yeah. It really made clear like, you know, that concept too of when you know your why, you can bear almost any how. Yep. Right? Nietzsche. Yeah. And and then so I really had to start questioning my why. Like why am I doing this? And it was somewhat obscured to me. Yeah. You know, and I started to really meditate on the selfishness of my existence you know, to a certain degree, like that's really what started to come up because like, well, why am I doing this? This is uncomfortable. I don't like it. Am I doing this for me to be more comfortable? Well, Mm. I don't know if there's that payoff. I'm not sure about that. I know I could be a hell of a lot more comfortable now, you know? So like that's, that's unclear. Or am I doing this for the ability to share this story? you know, and the ability to like express what I learned. I was like, yeah, maybe that, but what's the motivation behind that? Am I sharing it with people because I actually love people and I want them to benefit from it? Mm. Or do I just like having something to share because that puts me in a position where I get, you know, the adoration of people who've done this. And so I started to really like meditate on that and be like, fuck, like the selfishness runs deep. Yeah. You know, it's like back when I w- did ayahuasca and, you know, and the dragon came and the dragon was like, do you want power? And I said, yes. And the dragon says, why? And I said, to help people. And then the dragon showed me all of the ways in which I'd used power that did actually help people, but how I also gained from it as well. So it kind of like just pulled apart this idea of the completely selfless act yeah you know and also the strategy behind different things like how you put out content well you choose content that is gonna you know fit the algorithms that are gonna actually reach the most people so there is some strategy at play but Mm. if you're using strategy are you doing it in a selfless way or a selfish way well it's reaching more people which is causing more good but it's also giving you more feedback so I got like stuck in this kind of deep meditation, which then eroded my why. Mm. Because as my ego started to soften, you know, the idea of like more people liking my stuff or me making more money, I was like, I don't fucking care. Like, what do I miss? I miss music and like hugging my friends. Like, I don't give a shit about yeah. this other stuff. I don't need to prove anything, you know? So, so then it really came down to like, it's gotta be about, it's got to be about service like it has to be yeah but i wasn't to be honest i just wasn't fully there yet i was somewhere caught between serving my ego and serving other people but neither one was strong enough to be a compelling why yeah you know it was like both were like yes i do want to help people yes i do want to serve myself but neither one was quite strong enough because i didn't love other people enough and my ego 
you know, I'd already seen through the Maya, the illusion of my ego, which says that more is better. Yeah. You know, so like, it was just this kind of like weird middle ground, which I think made it really, really hard. Because without that strong why, but then I also realized that, you know, one of the things, and actually, again, it was Mike Posner, who was, I was like communicating with, oddly enough, through this whole journey. But he's like, look, man, you make these deals with yourself, so you learn to trust yourself. Mm. And amen. And like it almost it doesn't matter what it is, but every time you go back on something that you promised to yourself that you're gonna do, you trust yourself less. Yes. And that has that has a real effect. Yes. So that was this kind of thing, like, okay, yeah, like I gotta trust myself. If I say I'm gonna do this shit, I gotta do it because yes. I'm so squirmy and wiggly <laughs> and I can justify yep. a million things and I can figure my way out of almost anything. The smarter you are, the easier it is for you to talk yourself out of the agreements that you make with yourself. Yeah. Yeah, man. <clears throat> and what I really think is going on in psychedelic experiences is you're basically being confronted with how you truly feel about yourself. And if you think that you deserve to be punished or that you deserve to go through hell, you get it. If you truly know that you honor your commitments and your truths, you get rewarded. And it's almost just like your psyche is showing you this is how you feel about yourself mm. based off of and I think you hit it on the head. I think it's one of the most important things that we can share with people is <clears throat> a lot of your life and the grace or the lack of grace that you have in your life comes from whether or not you trust yourself in the agreements that you make with yourself. Yeah, yeah, truth, truth. And I didn't really trust myself that much. You know, you know, I'd seen myself wiggle out of a lot of different things. I'd done the things that I needed to do. And so I had some trust, but also when it was all about me, when I'm doing something totally for me and nobody else is holding me accountable, because like I'm there in the dark. I mean, and I did some shit in Poland too that was also pretty, pretty, you know, deep and pretty committed. But fuck, I had 12 really good friends there. Yeah, to hold you to accountable. To hold me accountable. Yeah. And darkness is just me. Mm -hmm. I could just take that blindfold and I could just tilt that bitch up. Yeah. You know, and there was nobody else there to kind of, to stop me from doing that. So that was the real, you know, that was a real, real challenge. That, that feels day. like a big moment to recognize. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And that was, you know, that night, finally, um, that night, finally, I started to get the beginnings of some visionary, some visionary states. And it starts with like a pulsing in your eyes. It's like a pulsing of light mm -hmm. and just some of the fractal, fractal stuff that starts to, that starts to come and my sleep deteriorated pretty significantly and i was yeah. wearing my aura ring so i kind of figured that figured that out but day three was day three was a hard day a few moments in there you know a few moments where i had a few chuckles which were the first times a few positive moments but a lot of like a lot of it was pretty dark pretty bleak and pretty challenging you know day three um day four comes and the morning hits and the early morning hours, you know, I think I'm waking up probably well before the roosters crow. So it's still dark outside. So, and the visions start really coming. Yeah. And the lights are flashing in my eyes. And I remember, you know, some of my friend, one of my friends from Poland, Jesse Itzler was like, it's going to be lit. And he was just joking, but like, it really was lit. Like I had these lights just constantly pulsing and flashing in my eyes. And, and it was like, oh shit. Cause that's supposed to happen around day five. And I had it. 
end of day three, start of day four. So it was happening before. That sounds like the breath work and the meditation got you there faster. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And also probably the history of work that I've done with For plants sure. and all of that. Um, but it was exciting and unnerving because I felt like I had a new radio antenna and it was like <laughs> tuned into this other world. But I was like, fuck, I still got a couple days of this left yeah. to go, you know? And, um, but I started to kind of tap in and get like more visions and more understandings. And it became, it became, you know, it started off pretty dark, not like in, in the color and the absence of light, but like demonic, like demonic, mm. you know, and like wow. gruesome, you know, and, and it was a real practice of like accepting and trying not to judge and show preference to yeah. those things that were celestial and those things that were beautiful because the more I tried to fight those other 100%. images, like, and, and some of it, it would be like a, a wheat thresher just mowing over people. And I'd be like, oh my God, I don't want to fucking see this. Wow. But the more I said, I don't want to see this, the longer I would be stuck in that loka of, of experience. You know, that Dram which you persist. It. Yeah. Resi- or that, that which you resist, resist persists. Persist. So I was seeing a lot of this like kind of gruesome Kali imagery stuff. And I think that's where like there's some real deep wisdom in these kind of Hindu traditions. It's like Kali is wearing that necklace of severed arms and severed heads. And so I got this. Yeah. And it's it's like that's part of it. You know, Shiva destroys, Brahman creates, you know, it's this part. And it's just about us releasing our preference. Yeah. And finding the beauty in the destruction as well as in the in the creation so really kind of working with a lot of that um was kind of a key part and then finally like kind of work through that and i started to break through that after i finally really accepted that into some lighter imagery into some like kind of love and more celestial kind of explorations and started to have some really interesting like really interesting kind of understandings come in i think the first one was like i said sometimes words would get stuck in my head Mm -hmm. and the word a perspectival got stuck in my head i was like this word i can't stop saying this word yeah and so i wonder what what this is trying to teach me and i was like what is a perspectival what is it in the absence of perspective i was thinking the soul and i was like no because the soul has its own lifetimes and it has its own container well, the only thing that's truly a perspectival is nothing or everything. Omniperspectival or actually a perspectival, same thing. So the only thing that's actually a perspectival is the divine, is source, is the one, is God. And then, so I was recognizing that, okay, so if I was going to define what God is, then I would call it the loving, a perspectival witness, law. And I was like, it was curious to me. I was like, oh, God's law. Yeah. The loving a perspectival witness. And I realized like if you keep playing the witness game, so there's me, the one playing Aubrey. And then there's the witness of the one playing Aubrey. And then there's the witness of the witness of the one playing Aubrey. And the witness of the witness of the witness of the one playing Aubrey. And if you keep going to that, you eventually get to the witness that witnesses all from no perspective. It's like Hermes Trismegistus's quote, you know, God is an infinite sphere whose center is everywhere, but whose circumference is nowhere. Mm. Center is everywhere, circumference is nowhere. A perspectival. 
right? It takes me back to an ayahuasca vision. That yeah, I didn't know he said that quote. That's amazing. That's an amazing quote, right? I mean, like you start to realize that, and I was like, okay, well, that's that's God then. And so, like, things downloads started to come. Yeah, and I have thirteen pages of downloads, and there's no way I can even remember them because i did them on a voice recorder and, and put them in but these are some of definitely the the big ones and then i started to work on a on my own kind of guiding mantra for myself you know maharaji told ramdas love everybody tell the truth and i played with that one and i was like you know maybe eventually i'll adopt that as my own but really what seemed to make the most sense to me was love yourself be honest yeah because yourself is a representation of everyone and everything from that does the other from that does the other and so you know like rumi says we are not a drop in the ocean we are the ocean in a drop if we're able to totally love ourselves we're able to totally love everything so love yourself and that's a great place to start right because we'll love because we judge ourselves more than we judge any other aspect of anything typically so love yourself and then be honest. Because tell the truth is a different thing because telling it, the idea is, mm. is an expression of truth that is verbalized, you know? And, and it still works, but be honest to me was just a little bit different. It's, it's more humble. It's like because you know, it's not claiming that you have the ability to articulate the truth, but that right. the best that you can do is to be honest, be honest with where you are. I'm feeling this. Right. And it's not claiming everything, anything is a fact. That's really it's just interesting, like, yeah. It's just like, this is what I'm feeling. Hmm. This is what I'm thinking. Man, I'm fucking wicked jealous right yeah. now. Like, I'm just feeling this thing, you know, and it's and not trying to project and claim and try to, but just really be honest. Be honest with yourself first and foremost, and then be honest with anybody else yeah. that you're communicating with. That's so really love yourself and be honest. I really like that because there's lots of spiritual people that I've witnessed who will use this intention to speak the truth to claim truth for another person at them and it's like if you want to destroy a conversation tell the other person what their truth is it's not how that works but if you're being honest you can admit this is what i'm feeling this is the story i'm telling about what i think you're doing and then you can actually talk about it and i think that that's a really great love yourself and be honest feels like you've articulated where you start Mm -hmm. the end goal is love everyone tell the truth right you know right yeah, I mean, this is definitely the the spot for me that made that yeah. made the most sense. And you know, I, I started to explore different other kind of relationship. And I might be confusing day four and five here, but I'll try How and keep you. it. I'll try and keep it roughly together. But I started coming up with acronyms, mm-hmm. you know, for interesting things. Um, and some of it was just guides to relationships. So if you're in a relationship. You know, your goal should be to be loving, aware, respectful, and kind, right? So loving, obviously, that's the easiest one to remember. That means to be open to love, to be generous with your love, and to graciously receive it, not to block it off. Because I started to become aware that I've been blocking off love. I started to think of myself like, I've been like a fucking action an action hero in a movie like a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie called Hard to Love. (laughs) And that was Chris Marcus, Aubrey Marcus. That was me my whole life, hard to love because I wouldn't fully let it in. And not even my mom who like loved me as unconditionally as any human being could. I just never really fucking fully let it in. 
And to plant a flag here, you would say that this is approach to the inmost cave is starting to recognize? It's starting to recognize this, yeah, for sure, for sure. Which this is, is the seven. approach to the inmost cave, for sure. Um, and so that was it. So loving, aware, so keeping that person in mind. I think a lot of the times I've been deeply wounded. I've felt like, you know, Whitney or whoever lover wasn't aware of me. Mm. They were just like, ah, not even looking. So just be aware, you know, be aware of yourself you know, things that you may be doing and be aware of the other person. Respectful, and respectful means respectful of somebody's boundaries. Mm. Because we're caught as humans in between the boundlessness of God, which knows no boundary. Sure, take my life, take whatever. It's just an expression of me, I'm everything. Like, it doesn't matter. Boundlessness, but we're humans. We have an ego and identity and a body and flesh that's permeable. So boundary is necessary, like a cactus that has spines or a rose that has thorns. So we're caught between the divinity of our nature and the boundary that is the necessity for being human. 100%. So to be in a relationship, you have to respect not only your boundaries, but your partner's boundaries. Yeah, the thing that comes to mind is like a flashlight. Like in order for the light to come through, it needs a container. And if you destroy the container, the light can't come through it anymore. And exactly. It, we need boundaries. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's an absolute necessity. And any boundary that you don't put out externally you'll create internally right and then that internal and i started to really recognize this actually the next morning when i had a lot of anger come up yeah and i realized that i hadn't put out enough external boundaries so what i did instead is i created internal boundaries and those internal boundaries kept me from loving and receiving love from another person because i was worried about them trampling on my feelings but if i didn't love them it didn't fucking matter anyways so the failure to create these external boundaries doesn't actually work because you create internal boundaries which are trickier and harder to remove yeah you know whereas if lovingly you create external boundaries and say look it just doesn't make you know it it's not in the right accord for me to spend time with you right now i love you as you are but you know it doesn't really make sense to do this and and this we'd be better off spending time apart or i'm not really feeling this or whatever the whatever the thing is and this is so hard it like this is one of the things i struggle with the most and something that i see people who want to claim the story that they're spiritual is there's this story of because i'm spiritual i can endure anything i can handle anything so they don't bypass yeah but what they're going to end up doing is creating fucking internal boundaries and those internal boundaries are going to keep them from love and they're going to build resentment and eventually that fucking lid's going to come off which happened to me a million times those are all my angry outbursts which when i have these angry outbursts then i'm shameful about the angry outbursts then i (laughs) repress those things more and then they dive even deeper yeah, and it's one of the and this is this came up for me watching the video, and I know that we'll get to this point. But one of the things that has been coming up for me lately is this Buddhist idea of not having attachment. I think how a lot of people will try to implement that is to not actually allow themselves to deeply connect to life, to people, to love, and they think that that's them being in their Buddha nature of not having attachment. But what it seems to be is that. If you actually allow yourself to connect deeply to your life, you are promised grief on the other end. And then to also experience that deeply and that that's the non-attachment. It's not resisting either of them being, but to just fucking rip your heart open. Like who's who's that monkey guy that has his- Hanuman. Yeah. Like that feels like that's the way as opposed to, and I'm so guilty of this, of this like, I've- I've read quotes about Buddha. I'm not attached, aka I haven't let myself open up to you at all, so you can't hurt me. 
and I'm enlightened. Yeah. And it's full of shit. And that was, that was the ordeal. So the approach to the inmost cave was kind of figuring all this stuff out, sorting out different aspects of myself, figuring out boundary and relationship. And, and I ended up realizing like the, the really, this idea of changing people is also a misguided idea. Guilty. It, because all the thing that you can do, and Paul Selig talks about this, but I never really got it. The only thing we can really give someone is to love, love them as they are, yeah, man. to love what is. And I was constantly in this trap of loving people for the potential of what they could the be, same way, dude. which is judgment. Yeah. And that judgment is going to be internalized by them. And that judgment is going to make them have less self-love for where they are, which is going to drive them further into their distractive and other mechanisms of protection. So even though we think that we're helping them reach their potential, we're showing them that we love them if they reach that potential, which is making them ashamed and afraid of the potential that they're currently in. And we're actually being counterproductive. And I've done that with every girl I've ever been with in my life. Same. Same. And it's that was like... It's so insidious because you think that you're being the loving son, but really what you're doing is not consciously and not purposely, but you're putting fear and guilt and shame out and you're calling it love. Yeah. Dude, I have been there. Yeah. And you know, when I saw, when I saw Whitney and I've probably done this with nobody worse than Whitney and I saw Whitney and I finally got to see her like his faces some faces were easy some faces were hard it depends on how much static and friction i had i think in seeing somebody i finally see her she has this crown of eagle feathers on her forehead so i've always wanted to reach whitney to reach her spiritual potential you know and i've loved that idea of her spiritual potential her tapping to the divine feminine and i saw her looking out and i was like yes and then i saw her looking down at herself looking down at herself and what she was saying was, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? <laughs> and I was looking at her and I was like, fuck. Yeah, man. Like, that's, maybe I didn't create that, but I, I exacerbated that because I would use my love for when I thought you were doing it right. Oh, you went on this ayahuasca journey. It's so great, baby. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Oh, yeah. And all it does is, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? Yeah, and that's man. not going to get anybody to do anything. You know, that's just going to that's just going to make her want to avoid looking at who she really is, yeah. which is going to give her the love, which is going to be the baseline and the foundation <sighs> for her to actually become that thing, which I've seen. But it's what Paul Selig says: you don't actually take anybody and do anything with them. You just see them and love them as they are and if it's their truth they'll become it they'll if and it's the only way it's the only way for them to choose it you can't drag people hand in hand up the mountain yeah they have to climb i can't push somebody in a fucking bucket of ice and they'll have a wim hof experience i can't hold somebody in the darkness in a cell all they're going to be thinking about is how much they resent me for putting them in the darkness. You got to yeah. walk yourself in the darkness. Yeah. You got to go into the cold yourself. You got to go through, you got to climb these mountains on your own. And the way to support someone is to love them no matter what. Yeah. You know, like my friend Humble, the poet who's at in Poland, you know, like 
he doesn't know how to swim. And the very first day, he had the courage to jump into an icy waterfall, into a pool, and he was just going to figure it out. But if someone pushed him in, yeah, man, that wouldn't have worked. He wouldn't have had that courage. And then another day, he didn't want to do that. And I told him, look, man, you don't have to do that. You got nothing to prove, brother. Like, you're worthy of, there's no reason to be hard on yourself. Yeah. Just love yourself, and whichever decision you make is perfect decision. And it's easier with guys like that, right? For like, sure, because we don't have the same We don't have attached. We're not attached. Yeah. We're not like hoping that they become something. Because we don't like whether Humble did that or not. I don't. It's up to him, man. It's right, up you to don't you. care. It's up to you. You just love him, period. Yeah, exactly. Like, I love you either way. Like, we're going to go back to that little house in Poland. We're going to eat some amazing food from Chef Kamu, and it's all going to be good no matter what. I'm not going to think any less of you because you didn't jump in this fucking freezing waterfall for the yeah. second time in the middle of the night with these tiki torches up. Like, I don't care, you know? But with our partners and the people we're invested in and attached right. to, that's when it gets hard. So, like, I had that, I had that realization and... And just like my, my purpose is to love people as they are. Yeah. And that started to give me like a real understanding of my purpose. And it's a dangerous thing because any analysis even, any analysis contains some, contains some judgment to a certain degree. It's very difficult to observe and witness any and strategy. share, but share it without attachment. And share it with full love. Yeah. The most important thing is that the love doesn't change. And I think it is valuable to share what we see. Right. But share it as something that we see, something that we're unattached to, and share it when they're ready to receive it. You know, like, you know, hey, I'm, I'm just, I'm not seeing this. And they're like, okay, well, this is what I see. Yeah. But this is your journey. It's like whispering to a flower where the sun is, but you have to let the flower reorient. You can't, because if you try to force it, you might break it. Exactly. You know, like you just have to whisper. Yeah. And that's what Ramdas says about the Maharaji, you know, who just, they're in a place where they understand that we're all just walking each other home to enlightenment. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many lifetimes it takes. It doesn't matter if it takes this lifetime or next lifetime. It's all our attachments about time and this lifetime and this thing that we're doing that's causing us to push people and, and be in a hurry where we're missing out on just the ability to love people as they are right now. Yeah, and the thing that comes up for me that I haven't thought about until now, but it seems to be some of the wisdom that's coming through your psyche as you went through this experience is that if you know yourself truly, you can articulate your boundaries to your flashlight. And then if you speak the truth with your partner, you can quickly learn whether or not their truth fits your container. Yeah, And the quicker you can get to that knowing, the quicker you can let them go from your expectations mm. and you can simply love them as they are. And then you will eventually find the partner whose truth fits your container. And also it's about, you know, be open to changing your container because there's this force that's beyond the ego that brings people into your life that you fall in love with that if you let them love you and you let yourself love them, they will transform the container of the flashlight a little bit. Mm -hmm. But you have to recognize, like I'm so guilty of this in my past relationships, is that overchanging the truth of my container because I want them to fit inside of my flashlight. Yep. And those are, <clears throat> those are when we have these desires, these desires trap us, these attachments trap us when we want something from somebody. The, the reason why Maharaji was be able to do that because he didn't want anything. 
Right. He didn't care. He was like free of his attachment as to whether someone gained any kind of spiritual enlightenment or not. He knew they were all getting there anyways, you know, because he was seeing from the aperspectival approach of this is just one of infinite worlds and locus of existence and it's all helping the soul learn and and it's fine. But our attachment and our desires will cause us to adjust our boundaries and like adjust the way that we act, adjust the things that we're trying to create. Outside of our truth. Outside of our truth. So I came up with the other acronym, H-E-B, which is a funny grocery store that's here in, <laughs> in, in Austin, but it worked. And it's honesty, like radical honesty, expectation management. Well, first of all, LARC was the first one, loving, aware, respectful, kind. Kind is kind is actually one that I, that I struggled with, but I really understood that kindness is just, there's a kind of dispassionate nature to being a perspectival. Mm. It's like, ah, I don't care. Mm. But kindness is sometimes like giving a little bit more of a hug, giving a little bit more of a soft landing. Yeah. You know, just not, not really, not pushing yourself so, pushing somebody so much into the radical truth by sharing the thing that you're just kind or maybe not doing the things that are going to be so super challenging that it's actually just kindness, I think, is a human thing, respecting yeah. that the human body has tenderness. And that we're not treating each other like, oh, you're just a soul. Machines. You know, machines, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, so that was, the, that was to finish that. That's lark. And then lark is one bird. A finch is another bird. And the other part of uh, the thing that I thought about finches was instead of finches, flinches. Like all of those things that create flinches. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to like, lark's not flinches. Wow. So Her. like create something yeah. that's not, you're not trying to create flinches, which are protective mm. mechanisms. You know, like do you, do your best to remove the flinches. And the flinches come from something that's surprised. Imagine when you flinch in reality at someone giving you one of those and you, and you flinch. It's like something that you didn't expect. Mm-hmm. Well, you can avoid the flinching by just riding with the truth, riding with the truth. So there's no slap. There's no gap from, when, from the truth that you're expressing. The boundaries are clearly expressed. Interesting. And there's no gap. So as larks, not flinches, and H-E-B, honesty, expectation management. And that was another one that I was like really going deep on is like the idea of expectation which is like any expectation we have is completely ludicrous and it just leads to disappointment because that's saying that i know better what should happen i know better what should happen in the world than what the all what the capital m mystery what the unit capital u universe knows i know better and if it doesn't meet that well it's wrong yeah. And there's something inherent about if you're in expectation, you are denying the truth of what is. Exactly. You're you're hypothesizing that something should be different than what it is. Which when well, you take a moment to think about it, it is insanity. It's insanity. It is what it is. And you're saying, no, no, no. What is isn't what should be. How what hubris? And that's the ego taking the role and pretending to be God. I know best. And there what is, happened isn't what should have what should have happened. An interesting thing that comes up for me is I think you're only allowed to have expectations for yourself about what you feel you could be, but you don't get the right to have expectations over how other people are or what they should be. You can see what you feel is your intuition about what they could be, and that's whispering to the flower. And I do think a part of going on the hero's journey is that feeling that what is 
could be otherwise. Yeah. But you only get to do that with you. And even then, it shouldn't be an expectation. It should be an intention. Because mm. otherwise, Heard. you won't love yourself Heard. if it turns out differently. Right? Like, my intention is this. Mm. But I don't have an expectation. What is, what is, is. If I wasn't, if I pulled my blindfold off, then what is is and i was that's what was you know so the expectation that i was going to last six days or the expectation that i was going to be celibate for six months and it only turned out nine days well that was my intention but i learned something along the way and what is was and what was was you know and you just start to accept that it's like a much deeper you know acceptance yeah which helps you love yourself and helps you love other people but yes you're right you can have intentions for yourself where you must be mindful of intentions for other people it's their prerogative to make the intentions for themselves and then the other one again like we've been talking about is boundary like you have to have firm boundaries and the more you move your boundaries around the less trustworthy you're going to be with yourself or they're going to be less trustworthy with you so honesty expectation management and boundary yeah so i started to like really learn those kind of like key elements it sounds like these were the treasures in the chest inside of the cave yeah and this was all leading up to this you know the approach to the inmost cave where i'm like starting to sort some like really important shit out here and then i started to have some more kind of loving celestial visions i started to see rainbows i started to you know the fractal patterns increased what was really interesting is, is i got to a place where finally that tension in my chest that i talk about it just released and i was in really deep peace and i could actually see like the demons in my mind they were throwing confetti in the air (laughs) it was like a big celebration wow and i was just and like my mind was like you can take your blindfold off man now you did it you did it and i was like oh fuck i remember just wrestling with that again like maybe i did maybe i'm done was there a specific vision or a thought that happened right before the release in your chest I think it was the combination of I saw a couple visions with the key relationships that I'd had struggle with. I also went through this whole thing about loving what is, and I felt like I found some deep truth. All of the stuff we've recently been talking about, those all came. And then I also had a really personal and powerful vision of my father. Mm. And, um, you know, in this vision of my father, he was in the corner of the room and he was reading a book and my father's had mental illness for the last you know last eight years or so and in that mental illness um he's heard voices that have told him that he was any variety delusions of grandeur and and that sort of thing so messiahs kings whatever i see my father in the corner of the room and there's a lamp and he's reading a book and i say um Hey, Dad, what book are you reading? And he says, The Book of Lies. And I said, Dad, why are you reading The Book of Lies? And he says, Well, it tells me all kinds of things I want to hear. It tells me I'm a king. It tells me I'm a messiah. It tells me all these things. Then he closes the book. He's like, But I'm reading The Book of Lies because I never thought I was enough. Because the truth was that I never loved myself and I was never enough. And then he throws the book over his shoulder and he says, son, no matter what, remember that you're enough and remember that you're worthy of love and it's not about what you do and you don't have to be a king and you don't have to be a messiah and you don't have to be anything special. You're worthy of love just for being who you are. 
and it was like just such a powerful moment of my dad saying like you know this is why i turned to the book of lies my psyche turned to the book of lies but you never have to do this and both me and my dad share this really strong internal judge and i learned that from him to a certain degree and i remember just saying like dad you know just know that everything you did was perfect everything you did was perfect because look where i am now here i am dad like you did it you did it you know and i and i I don't know my ability to be able to share that with them in, in 3D reality, but yeah. I, but just sharing that with them and knowing that I'm going to do my best, whether it's to write a letter or kind of find a way to reach him in whatever state that he's in, to just say, like, look, you know, what you did was perfect. And then I also told him that I would help with my little brother and help with my stepmom and, you know, some of the things he was worried about. So I had that big, profound vision yeah. So it felt like it felt like I'd reached the point where I'd broken through, mm-hmm. and my mind was like, "You're done, bitch. You're <laughs> out of here. Like you did it. Congratulations." The reason the demons were throwing the confetti were like, "We need to get him out of here right now, <laughs> yeah, so exactly. we don't look at the real thing." Exactly. Exactly. And uh, but I so I, I there's a 24 hour call button, so I hit the 24 hour call button, and Barati comes in to talk to me. How you doing? I say, "I think I'm done. I think I'm done. I think this is it." You know, and she's like, "Well." Why don't you, you know, why don't you think about this? Come down to our little, you know, come down to our little singing session tonight. And if after the end of that, we'll do a little gong bath and we'll do a few things. And if after that you're done, you're done. That's fine. You know, but the mind is tricky. And she was like, you know, the mind is tricky. And sometimes it says you're done when you're not done. So just be sure. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Mentor. Yeah. And so I went through the rest of the, you know, went through that night. And I remember, you know, as soon as I made the decision, to keep the blindfold on all of that ease that was in my chest kind of contracted mm. and i was like oh fuck i should have just taken my blindfold off i should have just mm. stuck with what i was thinking but i ended up through all the prayers and all the visions and all of the gongs and everything i just started seeing so much more just my my the pulsing lights were increasing the visionary state was increasing my access to seeing these huge geometric dmt fractal you know beings and entities and all this was just going overload and i was like all right i got more to do it was like i'm gonna stay and she's like you can come out tomorrow if you want i was like you know what i think i want to stay in here two more days which would be six days and i had some like kind of um you know kind of like romantic ideas of you know seven days and on the seventh day they said let there be light jesus baby yeah Yeah. exactly i was like fuck it i'm like i'm at least two more two more days you know i'm gonna go through a full day and I'm really glad I did because that night I didn't sleep much, maybe two and a half hours on the aura ring and because the, the visions were so intense. And um, I woke up and I, I had a dream with a lot of anger. And I hadn't, ex- I hadn't felt a lot of emotion, not a lot of tears. Some, like when I had that vision with my dad and the vision with, with Whitney. And, um, but anger really started to come up. And that's when I really started to explore anger. And it was interesting because I heard one of the kids, I think the three-year-old kid, um, three-year-old girl in the house, and she had a she had a fit. She just started mm, expressing her rage and like, rah, 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 like so angry. Before your anger or during After. your anger? So I'm angry in the morning. I'm like, wow, I'm angry. I'm fucking angry. And I started exploring that. I started feeling like, oh, but I'd repressed all of that anger. And if I was just like a kid who just yelled and screamed and got it all out i probably wouldn't repress it Mm. and i think so much of the repression of anger has been what's kind of kept me sad yeah 
you know, and like kept me kind of bottled up and kept me anxious was, and part of that is the, you know, not having healthy boundaries. That's exactly what was allowing coming people mind. to trample my yep. boundaries and then overreacting and mm-hmm. then being in this thing of like, and anger is bad because my dad used to be angry. So I learned that anger was bad and the way that I've used anger has been bad. So then anytime I feel anger come, instead of being like, okay, here's anger, this means that I've not let a boundary you know, I've let a boundary be transgressed, but then I'm also like bottling up this anger. So for the first part of day five, I was just processing anger and just really like deeply looking at anger. And I started doing a lot of shaking and like as close as I could to ecstatic dance in the silence. I couldn't even handle the own box by then. So it was just like fucking silence at that point. Um, I started to process that. And then that was probably took me all the way past lunch. And, and then that started to shift i went into another meditation and with whitney in particular this was like the first crack where the emotion shifted from anger to sadness and this was where like i'm in the i'm in the inmost cave at this point right like so chapter eight of the hero's journey and and in that all whitney said was i've always done my best and it was fucking devastating like such a simple thing but then I realized that every grievance I've had against her, every judgment that I've made, it's all my own. She's always done her best. And I've always done my best. And my dad's always done their best. And everybody's always done the best they could at any given moment. And for her to say, like, I've always done my best and realize that everything that I've held against her was my own, it was devastating. And I just got to see a woman, a girl, doing her best. And like that opened like this floodgate of tears and opened a pathway of like much deeper love and i started going through different people and then that's when i had a really strong connection with my mom and i'm going through this meditation and i'm connecting with my mom and my mom just said you know i've always loved you son i've always loved you so much and i still love you so much and recognizing then at that point that I never even let my mom really love me. I never let her, never let that love like really fully in. That moment was the moment where I had probably the deepest catharsis. 20 minutes of just sobbing, recognizing that even the place where love was the safest and most assured and ever present. I never really let myself feel it. And I started to ask, why? Why? And really the answer was something that you alluded to earlier. If you let yourself feel how amazing it is to feel love, then you become attached to it. And then you know that you have to let it go. I'm going to have to let my mom go. She's in her 70s. I'm going to have to let her go. She's going to die. So if I don't really love her, eh, I'll be okay. And I'm going to have to let Whitney go. Every time she sees another guy or if our relationship, I got to let her go. But if I let her really love me and if I really love her, then I got to let her go. And like that hurts. That hurts when you really love. So yeah, I used to think like, I'm not afraid of dying. You know, a good way to not be afraid of dying, not love living. Got nothing to lose then. So I'd trick myself. You know, I'd trick myself into 
believing that I wasn't afraid of death and that I wasn't scared of my mom dying and I wasn't scared of losing Whitney and I wasn't scared of all of these things. Well, of course you weren't, dummy, because you didn't really enjoy them. You didn't really love your life. You didn't really love people. You didn't really love anything because I'd protected myself because the, it was horrifying to think about having to let it all go if I really loved it. Yeah. Like that was, that was just too much to bear. But then you look at the other side of the coin, which is, okay, that may be terrifying, but imagine just the absolute horror of going through the entirety of your life and never loving it. Fuck. Like that is on another level of pain. And that's why I think it's so hard for people to come to these realizations because when I realized that I hadn't fully let love in and I hadn't loved my life, I'm 38 years old. I've spent so much of my life not really loving it. Imagine if I was 58 years old or 78 years old and then I had that realization. I'm like, fuck, my life is almost over. And I hadn't. At least I'm somewhere in the, you know, hopefully before the midpoint you know and i get to have this realization but still like the the understanding that i'd let so much of my life pass yeah. without really loving it was just devastating and for the rest of that day i would just break into sobs just uncontrollable sobs and that was the thing that really kind of cracked my heart open and like i realized how much i love my life and how much i missed my life and I started to get worried. I was like, oh my God, I haven't been in touch with anybody. What if someone died while I was gone? Like, and I never got to love them. Like, what if? Like, what if I never got to really love them? You know, like, what if, what if something happened? You know, like, fuck. Like, I just want to get out and I just want to show people that, I, that I'm really there and I can really love them. And I want to really love them. I want to really have them know that I love them just as they are. And I'll feel it. I'll take all their love. And I started to miss things. And it wasn't that I missed the sight of things. It's that I missed the essence of things. Yeah. It wasn't anything in isolation. I didn't miss looking at trees, looking at clouds. looking. I missed the tree itself. I missed the person itself. Not just the touch. Not just the smell. Not just the, the essence of them. To be able to like dance with the essence of the beings and of the things and even music i was thinking about music well music is just kind of singular it's an oral transmission but i'm like but it's not really because music is eliciting the everything that's in me it's the essence it's the essence of me that's allowing it to flower same with great art great art yes it's purely visual but it's the essence of the artist but it's eliciting the all that's within me the ocean that's in the drop of me yeah and so that's why you miss it. It's the essence that comes from within you or comes from within something else. And it's that dance that, that I miss so much. And so there was grappling with the inmost cave, which was the courage to love and be happy, knowing that it could all be taken away. Yeah, and the core thing that comes up for me when I hear that is <clears throat> your mom's love, that type of love from another human the only way to actually accept it is to see the truth that they see, which is, is that you are inherently worthy of love. And so if you don't love yourself, 
that's a manifestation of you not allowing someone else's love in. Do you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. like the mom's love for the child is so unconditional when it's in its light, which it truly yeah. feels like your mom's is. <clears throat> and that if the way you deny it is by not loving yourself and that the fundamental core thing mm -hmm. there is you let their love in when you allow yourself to love yourself. That's the key. And that's why self-love is the foundation and is the foundational practice and why my mantra makes sense. Love yourself and be honest. You know, those two things, I just kept coming back to those two things. So that night progresses and I entered a place where I could only call, you know, soul land. Yeah. And in soul land, I had access to communication with everybody in a beautiful way. I could see the fractal patterns of these giant geometric shapes, which Bharati told me were actually the soul forms of people. And it was interesting, like some would be like these gigantic golf ball looking things. And, and, and to use that analogy, imagine every dimple of the golf ball was a door. And in those doors were little figures. And I was like, why do I keep seeing these with like these big geometric shapes with little doors? And I was like, oh, maybe those are all the incarnations, all the lives of that soul. Of that soul. And when all the doors are all full and all that soul, or maybe it expands, I don't know, man. I'm just exploring a, a, a foreign land. But I was like, but maybe when it fills, all of those fills, the soul's complete and it mm. doesn't need to take any more lives. Mm. And it was just this like really interesting understanding. And then communication started coming from different things, even patterns like the like I see spaceships in, in fractal patterns and I would talk to aliens. I saw images of different animals and they'd be different people. Shockingly, one of them was like Whitney's boyfriend. And I'm like, I'm really talking to Whitney's boyfriend right now. It's like the last on my list of people <laughs> who I'm intending to talk to, but I talked to him and it was a really beautiful conversation. Texted him when I got out and he's like, wow, man, that's like spot on. Cause I was like, I don't know if this is just my projection or imagination, but we had this chat I'm going to tell you what it was, just in case it's helpful. He's like, thank you so much. It was like really interesting, like what kind of started to transpire that night. But that night, late, after I was in Soul Land, and it was all kind of this beautiful, all of these encounters and all of these different interesting things that were happening, it was the darkness really started to break me because I feel like before that, the darkness didn't break me because I was already broken. I already didn't love my life so much that I didn't really miss the outside. Mm. I didn't miss my life. Mm. So the darkness put me back together, showed me that I did love my life. And then when it did love my life, that's it when it really I, hard. It made it that's when the breaking happened. And it was a beautiful breaking. It was a breaking open, but I never I didn't want to leave faster or more than, <laughs> than ever before at that yeah, point man. because i wanted to get back to the life that i loved so end up getting another couple hours of sleep that night waking up the next day talking to barati and we both agreed that that was the day that's day six and we both agreed that that was the day at sunset so at sunset i would take my take my mask off and at some point i'll show people what transpired when I took my mask off, which was probably the rawest, most emotional reliefs I've ever seen, where I started looking at the trees. Yeah, I've never seen a human cry like that in my entire life. I've never cried like that in my entire life. It was absolutely overwhelming, and it went on for a long, long, long time. And, uh, and I would still, throughout the next subsequent days, just burst into tears like that over anything. I mean, shit, I was, you know, 
I would watch them. I watched Stranger Things three, and just seeing the kids, you know, like seeing the kids love each other and be friends, and seeing people be people. I'd be like, "Fuck, I love people," and I'd start sobbing because I know that I would watch that same thing and be like, oh, "Yeah, yeah, movie people, whatever." I would just see people and just like love people, you know. So interestingly you know so i took my blindfold off had that whole experience of just recognizing how much i appreciated life and love and then you know that was the seizing of the sword in the classic hero's journey the seizing of the sword was the sword the sword of unblinding and the unblinding comes from love it was seeing the kingdom as it really is you know and accessing the power to see the truth that was my sword but then the next phase the return home trickiest one whoa i had no respect for that phase because i feel like ayahuasca unbuttons the vest does some psychic surgery and then stitches you back up you still have stitches you got to be mindful you're a little fragile but you're stitched i was just shredded and like the i was just looking at my phone for a little while and i was like do i open it i was like all right here we go you know i made it through the darkness i can definitely open my phone and the only thing that i could do i could see the text start flooding in and i just hit you know play on some music and i listened to music first listen to the ram das east forest album and that was like okay step one is music wow it's beautiful all right step two take a peek at the messages (laughs) you know but everything was so i had so much anxiety because i was just this like raw newborn you know, trying to deal with all these and things. And that phone's a dragon. It is a dragon. That phone man. is a motherfucking dragon. It is a dragon. It is not, it is, I have a lot of respect for that. And then, throw, so for the next few days, you know, every little thing came with its own challenge. And, you know, another interesting thing I didn't mention is in the dark, when the third eye is like blasted open like that and you're having visions, like when I would eat my food, you know, which was raw vegan food, I would see sprouts and mushrooms. I would see everything in my third eye. When I soaped my hands, I would see bubbles. When I wiped my ass, I would see shit. Like I could just see it bursting in my third eye. So like this newfound appreciation for food and for like all of these other different things that I like, I didn't want to lose any of it. And I was so scared that I was going to lose some of it. And tell you the truth, you do. Yeah, man. You do, but you keep some of it too. And it was actually so overwhelming that I got home and I'm in this fragile but kind of awakened state. And I was able to give a lot of love to the people who I saw in those first few days, but I was also very fragile. And like one of the ways to escape the fragility is I started drinking. You know, like I was drinking hard kombuchas and wines and tequilas and like, okay, now this allows me to have a normal interaction with the normal world. You know, like I can fucking handle this from here. But I think I'd reached to those things so frequently before, not really aware of what I was doing, but now like the numbing nature of those things was like intensely obvious. Yeah, and to set the stage stage 10 is the return home and then stage 11 is probably the one that people get stuck on and eviscerate themselves the most and it's resurrection and it's it's this you will forget what the sword was but you remember what the sword was and that stage is about remembering you know about remembering to remember yeah i was so down on myself yesterday to be honest because i'd spent three out of the last four days i guess no i guess it was a 
like Sunday and Monday and spent three of the last four days kind of drinking. And not like drinking heavily, you know, like wake up in the morning and have a cup of vodka type of drinking. But like every evening I would have drinks and like it just numb, it numbed me sufficiently where it felt kind of normal. Like I could eat meat without thanking the, the being that it came from. I could, I was doing all the things that I kind of was before. There was a strength there, granted. It wasn't like complete you know it wasn't completely the same but it was close enough that i got really down and i think that's part of the resurrection stage is is the forgetting and then the the just incredible discontent and disappointment in oneself when you do forget and the key to that stage is self-forgiveness yeah yeah and knowing that you know you know the way and you know the way back and you remember it and i think fortunately i had all those voice recordings so you know for five hours i listened to all of them and transcribed the notes last night and that was super helpful and i have the video of me unblinding and these little things are going to be great reminders to help me on this on this journey and it's really you know ultimately it's it's the truths get really simple at the end Mm -hmm. but really challenging to live especially when you're back into the ordinary world because no one is going to see no one is going to see me in the way they're not going to see me with a sword or see me with a crown or see me with the laurels of my darkness journey. They're just going to see me as I am. So it's up to me to internally be. They'll only see your actions. Yeah. Uh, it's up to me. I don't have anybody else being like, and even if they do, it's on on a limited way. Yeah. So it's not like I get to come back with a new costume. It's still right. me in the same costume. Yeah. The thing that comes to mind, I've, <clears throat> We've been playing with this hero's journey idea since we've known each other, and I haven't had this connection until now. The way that you most effectively resurrect is stage 12, which is to serve the medicine. And so if you extract out of this experience what the medicine is, every time you serve it, you remember. Because the only way to serve it is to remember. I've never had that connection until yeah. now, but that is how you remember, is you serve the medicine. And what is the serving of the medicine? Loving what is. Loving you, loving everybody here, loving my everybody I encounter, loving the, loving the world as it is. Just loving it as it is. And then doing whatever I want to do. Like ultimately all these ideas I had, I got to change this house, I got to do this thing. It was like, no, you don't. You just had to change you. Because you're the thing that's the common denominator in everything. And your life is fucking awesome. So do whatever you want. Like the ultimate guidance when I was the most tapped in, it's like, yeah, man, do whatever you want. Whatever you want, just do it. Just do it in the way that, you know, do it in the way that you learned. Where you love yourself and you're being honest. Yeah, loving myself, being honest, and loving what is. And that's it. So here we are at the end of a deep initiation. And, you know, I'll go back to the darkness. There's no doubt about it. It's the purest, deepest medicine that I've ever encountered. And, uh, you know, it's not going to, it's not for everybody, you know, but it's also, it's, it's strange. It's because it's the deepest, most powerful, but also the most gentle because it's just you. Mm. It's just you. You know, like you're not taking anything. You're just removing things, removing all the other things. It reminds me of that Dali quote, I don't do drugs, I am drugs. Yeah, that's it. You become the drugs. Yeah. 
and you just see what your what your faculties and what your experiences really are capable of. Yeah, and it reminds me of one of my one of my favorite ideas from Jung is this constant metaphor he uses that the soul is like an acorn; it knows its destiny is to be an oak tree, and you simply just have to remove all the blocks that you bring into your life, and then that energy that's in the acorn knows what to do and like the ultimate container for that is the darkness yeah because without any external stimulus your psyche will work through the things it needs to work through to break through the gravel yeah and have that intention but not the expectation of how you're going to get there (laughs) good luck (laughs) good luck and yeah and, and and honestly you know however take the pressure off yourself you know like most important thing is to enjoy this yeah. You know, the game is set up for us to enjoy it. And if we enjoy it, then then we played well. If we really enjoyed it and we help we helped others enjoy it too, you know, played well. And you've always done your best, whoever you are out there. Like forgive yourself. You've always done your best. You know, just try to enjoy and tap into the love of your life. And that personal history you have, it was all perfect to get you to where you are now. You just have to see it that way. Like one of the takeaways I had was that the universe gives only gifts. It's just up to us to classify them as such and decide mm. to play with them. Whatever traumas, whatever challenges, those are all gifts, you know? And that that is up to us. And even in the most challenging situation, like Viktor Frankl's situation, yeah. fuck, that's hard to take that as a gift. But he found a way to do it. He fucking did. And he found a way to do it by saying the last of the human freedoms is our ability to choose our attitude towards any given situation. And that idea he's been able to share with the rest of the world. So, yeah. you know, it's, we have, and that's the core of Stoic philosophy. The obstacle is the way, you know, resistance is assistance. You know, all of these wisdoms are there. Memento mori, remember that you're going to die so that you can kind of release your attachments and enjoy the fullness of the life. Hoka hey, yeah. you know, like today is a good day to die. Live so fully that it's okay if today is your day. And then if we're in a helicopter like Kobe was recently, and that's that's our day that we've lived in such a way that you know it's okay if that's yeah. our time. You know, so a lot of these things it just all kind of pulled them all together. Yeah, the thing that comes to mind is a cliche becomes wisdom through experience, mm-hmm. you know? And like, there are people who will hear those and they just think it's a cliche. And it's like, put yourself through an initiation ritual and that cliche will become wisdom. And you'll start to know it. Gnosis is the Greek word for knowing and you'll just have a gnosis, a different yeah. understanding of it. And I'd like to end with this quote from Joseph Campbell. So this is regarding the hero's journey. We have not even to risk the adventure alone. For the heroes of all time have gone before us. The labyrinth is thoroughly known. We have only to follow the thread of the hero's path. And where we had thought to find an abomination, we shall find God. And where we had thought to slay another, we shall slay ourselves. Where we had thought to travel outwards, we shall come to the center of our own existence. And where, we're, and where we had thought to be alone, we shall be with all the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there it is. Thank you for helping guide and through this podcast, brother. It's been an honor to serve and live alongside you. And I look forward to doing this for many, many years, lifetimes, whatever our, whatever our, whatever our thing is. Let's keep it going.
and thank you to everybody listening i know this was a long podcast hopefully you you know actually i can release my attachment to what you got out of it because whatever you got out of it is fucking perfect yeah. you know like like so whatever it was if you hate it if you love it it's it's all your journey and um but you know i'm just gonna continue to remember to love what is and love you as you are whoever you are whether it's hate whether it's love just love the journey that that transpires and uh and that's gonna help me to love myself and love my life and and live this way in the way that i want to live amen yeah thank you everybody so much um in the outro i'll give the links and everything if you're interested in the darkness retreat uh going the same place that i went to there's very few places in the world that do this and i think the place that i went is one of the best um obviously they only have eight rooms so you know hopefully some more people take up the uh they're gonna be booked take up the mantle you know take up the mantle and uh and you know help provide this in a really loving way and um and darkness is a technology too yeah you know people think like it's not as easy as you think to go pitch black Mm. because any light that you have you'll fixate on and it it ruins the experience i even had this necklace on and this necklace randomly these two beads glow in the dark so when i would like go to the window with my mindfold and there would be light that would come in i'd take my and then i close the window and my blindfold would go off my fucking necklace was lit and i'd be like oh no my necklace is lit like what the fuck am i gonna do so i had to put it in like multiple socks because it was so blindingly bright that it was distracting of the experience because you want that experience where your open eyes and your closed eyes are the same so It takes a little bit of technology to get the darkness out completely, but craftsmanship. Yeah, once you can get there, it's uh, it's just such a powerful tool. All right, that's it. That's a wrap. I love you all so much, and I love you, Godzi. Thank you for everything. Thank you. Yep. Peace. Thanks for tuning into this darkness podcast. I really appreciate it if you made it all this way to tap into the journey that I went through. And please follow Eric Godsey on social media. He's a wizard and he posts some amazing stuff. I also want to talk to you guys about something that we recently launched in which I'm offering morning daily inspiration. We're calling it AM Inspiration. And it's where I'm going to text you every single morning and give you something that gets you fired up, gets you something that gets you out of bed and gets you motivated. You know, Zig Ziglar has a quote. He says, people often say that motivation doesn't last well, neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it daily. Every day, there's some reason that'll help get you a little bit further along on your journey. If you just have that motivation, if you have that fire, that's gonna help get you out of there. And so I'm dedicating my time and my energy to doing so. And it's a text-based system, so you can text me back. And we'll take a look at the text and reply to as many as we can. But please, if you're interested in that morning inspiration, text 512-572-5222. Once again, that's 512, Austin area code, 572-5222. And just so you guys know, there's no additional charges outside of your normal text and data rates that you may have with your carrier. And if you're in a different country, text it anyways. So plus one, five, one, two at the start of the number. And as soon as it becomes available in your country, you will be a part of the AM Inspiration community. And once again, that number is 512-572-5222.